I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Thursday, March 10th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in about seven minutes. Brett, are you ready to pack up your masks for good? I've been ready to pack up my mask now for the past few months. But officially in Ontario, come March 21st, by the way, I think this is already the case in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba, but come March 20th, the mask mandate in Ontario, it is over in most places. There's a few exceptions like transit, you have to wear it on, hospitals, long-term care homes. Those seem fine. I'm okay with that. But in most places you can take it off. Very exciting stuff. What do you think, Jay? Are you concerned? I, I'm not concerned per se. I am excited. It feels like a big step and like something monumental is coming to an end, even though it's certainly not over, but it does seem like a big step. I just like how we mark time by spring breaks. Why? Well, yeah, spring time <laughs> by spring breaks. It's also crazy to think that I think as of like a week ago, it was officially two years since the first lockdown. And it just feels, it's just incredible to think that two years of our lives were trapped in this, like by this virus. It's wild. It is. It is. I think we'll look back for a very long time and look at social policy, public health policy, economic policy. It, the implications have been grand. And, you know, uh, not being flipped, but we're capping it off with a war in Europe. How's that? Yeah. And we don't get into discussion about those policies on the peak daily. We keep things uh, pretty just just the facts here. <laughs> I didn't mean us. I meant, re, you know, researchers and, know. and academics. I'm sure there'll be lots of reports about it. Brett, aside from the mask mandate and maybe putting our way our masks in a drawer that we don't need every single day. What do we have for Peak Pals? For our first story, regulate the unregulated. For our second story, green banks. And for our third story, dating detective. For our first story, Brett, how do you regulate something that was designed to be unregulated? Well, the US government and all of us in cryptocurrency game are about to find out Crypto markets were up on this news, Brett. I imagine this has something to do with President Biden. Uh, You would be right, Jay. So President Biden signed an executive order yesterday, and so this would be on Wednesday, for the government to devise recommendations for a framework for regulating cryptocurrency. Now, that included research into a potential digital version of the U.S. dollar. They're calling it the digidollar. Further research into consumer and investor protections, assessing any potential financial risks and regulatory gaps, crypto's role in maintaining U.S dominance, number one in global finance, and reporting on the future of crypto and money and payment systems. We're not just going to have a crypto. We're going to have the best crypto. (laughs) And here's why all of these measures matter. It's a tacit recognition by the U.S. government that crypto is not going away, but rather that it must be understood and regulated so it can be better integrated into standard economic operations. Now, this has wide-ranging implications for crypto on a global scale, and the markets clearly understood this as Bitcoin jumped 8% in the hours that followed the announcement, bringing it closer to where I bought Bitcoin, but not exactly there yet. Now, we're also seeing a similar trend in Canada, who in the past have been generally proactive when it comes to crypto developments. We were the first country to approve anti-money laundering regulation of cryptocurrencies. And since July of last year, all crypto exchanges must be legally reported to FinTrack, which you also might remember from the trucker protest a few weeks ago. Oh, oh, I remember. Still, Canada does not have an overarching set of crypto regulations that the U.S. government is starting to put together. And if ensuring compliance to whatever the U.S.'s rules will become necessary for crypto businesses to continue, maybe Canada will follow suit. As for the digital loony, which maybe we'll call the digiloon, yeah. I don't know. We'll, yeah, we'll work yeah. on that. The Bank of Canada released a report in 2019 called The Road to Digital Money, but it doesn't look like that road has gone anywhere because there hasn't been a lot of news about it since. Yeah. And, and one of the reasons why we struggle to actually regulate cryptocurrencies is because we don't have a national securities regulator. Maybe we'll dig into that in another podcast. But 
This executive order is particularly timely and comes in the wake of worries that Russia could use crypto to avoid some of the effects of U.S. sanctions. Now, many don't actually see this to be a realistic threat, including one White House official who said after the announcement that they do not see crypto as a viable workaround to the set of financial sanctions, but it cannot be discounted as motivation for the U.S. to get regulation put in place sooner than later. And so, Jay, that brings us to the bottom line of crypto's executive order. So, Brett, the U.S. is essentially saying crypto is here to stay and that we should get a handle on how we're going to regulate it so we don't all get left behind. Now for our second story, TD, BMO, and RBC, they all announced this week expansions to their green initiatives. Now, all made previous promises to reach net zero by 2050 per the Canadian government's larger climate goals. But Jay, what exactly does the new bank's announcements mean? Well, for companies, it means that if they want to seek funding, they must curb their emissions to get on the net zero by 2050 train. And that brings us to an interesting caveat, Brett. These banks all mentioned they will help their clients' transitions to meet climate objectives, meaning theoretically, oil and gas companies could actually get more money if they play the climate ball. Choo-choo, that's the net zero by 2050 train arriving at the station. Now, for the average account holder, this means maybe you can feel less guilty about banking with these institutions. But maybe not, because they all still rank in the top 25 lenders in the world to the fossil fuel industry. So yeah, it's all a bit murky. It's a bit murky, but each bank recently proclaimed new steps to become, I like this, called the most eco-friendly of all time. We're going to call it the meat, as if it, as it were, as opposed to the greatest of all time. We're going to call it the most eco-friendly I got of all it, time. Jay, yeah. You'll get It's much better in writing, I think. <laughs> but by 2030, TD wants to reduce its financing to oil, gas, and coal producers by 29%, while BMO wants its borrowers in these industries to reduce certain emissions by 33%. Now, TD's plan has specific regulations like a prohibition on Arctic drilling, but its ultimate resolution to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions associated with its operations and financing activities is much more vague. Now, BMO has the most to brag about. They were named North America's most sustainable bank back-to-back years and appears to have made the biggest strides in reducing its lending to traditional energy providers back-to-back, like the 91-92 Toronto Blue Jays. Yeah, Brett, you may remember that there's actually been a lot of baseball seasons between those 91 and 92 seasons, but I'm sure you're hanging your hat on that. Now, RBC is buying wind energy along with Shopify and Bullfrog Power from Berkshire Hathaway's Canadian Rattlesnake Ridge Wind Farm to reach its goal of sourcing 100% of its electricity from renewable, non-emitting sources by 2025. RBC shareholders are convening next month to actually vote on further climate measures following a controversial deal to finance the Enbridge pipeline. So, Brett, if you could zoom out a bit, why should peak pals care about Canadian banks going green or greener? Here's the new zoom out noise. That's it. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Not bad. Thank you. Yeah. Banks are checking the temperature on greening their practices and appear to see a profitable future in reducing emissions, both in their day to day operations and investments. Going green could actually help them see more green. I, let's, let's stick the dad jokes with me. Yeah. yeah. If that's okay. The Zoom noises for you, the dad jokes <laughs> to me. And for our final story. Match Group-owned Tinder is rolling out background checks through its in-app safety center, so you can put on your little detective hats and start swiping. Brett, want to catch the Peak Pals up on the safety issues around online dating? And you tell me, is this getting pressed because of Netflix Tinder swindler? I don't know if these background checks would help those women out. That was a difficult situation. But uh, the groundbreaking somehow idea of background checks for strangers you meet up with on the internet follows a 2019 investigative report by ProPublica that highlighted the presence of sex offenders and criminals on Match's dating apps. Now, at launch, 
Tinder will offer two free background check searches to each user. They're going to give up to 500,000 total free searches, which will be priced at $2.50 per search after two searches. You kind of know if you're going in the right direction or not. It's unclear when or if Match Group will roll out the feature to its other dating apps, including Match, Hinge, OkCupid, and Plenty of Fish. The Apple Direct users to a site run by background check nonprofit Garbo to fill in basic information about their match to start the process. Now, Brett, unfortunately, giant red flags like hates dogs or is mean to waiters do not show up on this background check, of course. After you've reviewed the results, you're free to choose your own adventure, obviously. And Tinder encourages reporting anyone with a history of violence for removal since the company will give access to the background checks per the Washington Post. The checks do not include arrests related to traffic violations or drug possession since those disproportionately infect marginalized communities. So, Brett, let's use your Zoom out noise again. Why does this matter to people who are on Tinder? Well, Tinder rival Bumble has yet to roll out a background check, but has long enforced a no-tolerance policy for bad behavior that favors women, much to the dismay of those booted off of the app. And enjoying the long-term gain of creating safer spaces for users. Now, the move comes at a time of increased focus on customer protection in the tech industry, where companies have profited by putting growth metrics ahead of user safety. Now, Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to and only daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second, why not follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. As always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And Brett, I think we should start implementing more sound effects yeah. into the pod. You're, you're like, I'll be your Fred and you'll be, you'll be Howard, I'll be Fred. No, no soundboard, though, just from our mouths. Like, oh, that's uh, good. It will be yeah. like the guy in Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. I, I, I'm very, I'm dating myself to the I, 91, I don't know what 92. That means. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but I said, <laughs> Have yeah. a good day, Brad. Yeah, you too, Jay.